listening to a Clovis Hills podcast, you're about to hear from one of our teaching pastors. I want to encourage you, go download the Clovis Hills app where you can listen to sermons, you can give, you can do the growth group questions. They're on there too. And you can study God's word together. God bless you guys and go be the church. Hey, how we doing? We're good? You good on that? Okay. So, um, gosh, we're going to do something right now. And um, because every, every year, at, um, really... All our campuses have some sort of, from children's ministry to teen ministry. And uh, this summer, uh, kids start, were able to start going back to camp, which is a good thing, right? That's a blessing. Yeah, a lot of kids missed out on it. So this year, um, we have 180 students from fourth grade to high school that are going to be going to camp this summer. And um, we have a lot of leaders and youth leaders, uh, children's ministry leaders that have donated their time, that are, that are really sowing into lo- these lives of these kids at camp. And I want to do something. I want to commission all of those that are, that are going. We want to send them out because they really are going to help these young kids um, know the gospel and, and know Jesus and draw closer to him or meet him for the first time. So if you are serving at one of the camps this summer, could you come up here real quick? Just um, come on up. Come on up. Do we have any of them? There's a few of them. Come on up. Oh, yeah, there's a lot. Okay. So here's the thing. I'm actually serving at it too. I'm going to the high school camp. I'm driving. I'm driving a boat and I'm the speaker. There's 120 student, high school students at, the, at houseboats this year. They're all on houseboats. So my goal is that we will not make life or take life. Amen? Right? <laughs> that's a successful camp. <laughs> that, that's what we're hoping to do. So, um, but here, here's what I really believe. Camps are in young people's lives. And um, the enemy wants to stop that. He wants to stop them from having that. He wants to, um, you know, even stop the people that help bring that to them and um, kind, of, kind of put a damper on that. And I want us to pray for them. Uh, wherever you're at, whether at Old Town, Novato, you're watching online, that we pray for this group because um, they're going to be part of bringing the good news to a whole new generation. So let's, um, I'm not going to make you raise your hand because I might pray too long and then your arm gets tired and then you feel guilty and it hurts because you feel like you're letting God down and don't, there's no guilt here. So just posture your hearts towards God. Let's spend a moment, be quiet, and we're going to commission them. Father, your word says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And Lord, we thank you for these people on stage and those that couldn't make it this morning. And um, Lord, we ask that you make their feet beautiful, that they would bring the good news to these kids in ways they've never heard it, tangibly with love, with words, with, um, with goofing around, with playing, that through all of it, Lord, um, they would see Jesus and they would know him. And Father, I pray a blessing on every one of these people. Lord, I ask that you bind the enemy from, from um, them, from the camps, and that in the, in the heavenly realms, Lord, that you are fighting for the, the souls of these kids And I pray you use the people here and you bless them for the time they're donating of themselves to the lives of others, Lord. Bless it and multiply it and and do great things for them. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, hey, let's give it up for this group, huh? Good job, guys. Good job. Good job. Well, um, you know, it's super interesting 
is my iPad just told me it has 10% left. So we'll see how good you are, Apple. I might have to go paper today. So I'm, I'm going to turn to it right now. Um, you know, today I'm, I'm going to be teaching from uh, Romans chapter 8. And uh, Romans 8, Martin Lloyd-Jones was a, a, a preacher I, I looked up to. I, I wasn't alive when he preached. But he spent two years preaching verse by verse through Romans 8. It's incredibly deep. I mean, you could spend a lifetime reading Romans 8, and there's so much in there that the Apostle Paul is, is, is um, that the Holy Spirit really is flowing out of the Apostle Paul through, through a pen to paper for all of us, for the church, for the ages. And I'm going to give it to you all in 30 minutes. So don't expect much. No, um, we're, we're going we're to handle a section of it and really just the big idea of it. Because um, I think it's, it's essential to who we are as people. So, um, you know, there was a, there's this phrase that theologians use, here and not yet. And it's talking about the, the kingdom of God. Because Jesus, he has said the kingdom of God is among us, but it's also returning, right? He said, pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there's this concept in, in being a Christian, right? That the kingdom's here, but it's not Yet. It's not fully yet. And it's the same way. Like, I accepted Jesus, and what the Bible tells us is that the Spirit of God dwell, dwells in me now. I'm forgiven of my sins, past, present, future. And um, it, it, it's here. My new life, my new birth, all of it is here. But if you would have saw me last week in line at Starbucks, it was not yet. <laughs> Do you see how that works? Right? That it's coming out in me. It's growing in me. It's growing in those that are in Christ Jesus. But it's not yet. That's why sometimes people get mistaken. And they look at Christians and go, Oh, they're a bunch of hypocrites. And yes, we are. That's why we welcome you. That's humanity as a whole. We're all hypocritical. But what we know about God is that he's, he's shaping Christ in me. And he's here. But there's more to come. So um, I read an article years ago about a, a little girl named, named Josie Cavan, and she's a, um, she, she was born deaf. She couldn't hear, and she had a, a, one of the first cochlear implants in her ear, and it ended up bringing um, her hearing back. She was able to hear for the first time at 12 years old, and the first thing that she ever heard um, was playing in the background on a radio was Jingle Bells. She woke up from her surgery and it was Christmas time and she heard jingle bells playing on the radio. And you have to imagine this. We hear that and we go, oh, jingle bells. But if you have never heard anything before in your life, you have to have all of that explained to you. See, as a baby, you, you were born able to hear and you had kind of at whatever level of consciousness you have at a baby, you're absorbing everything you're hearing and you're learning as you go and all that. But at 12 years old, all of a sudden, she was able to hear. Was her hearing restored? Yes, 100%, but not yet. See, because when the door slammed, it scared her. And she had to have it explained to her, oh, that's what the sound the door slamming sounds like. Every sound that happened after that, she had to keep having it explained. And she was learning for years and years and years about new sounds, new things that you just naturally took in as, as someone that was, was born hearing. So her hearing was restored, but then she went on the daily adventure of learning what that was like. 
This is the life as a follower of Jesus. When you accept Jesus in your heart, your sins are forgiven, past, present, future. You are a new creation. This is why we do baptism. We're going to have a baptism today after service. I invite those of you that are on campus here, out there. But, but here's the thing. Um, that's all here. And now you take an adventure the rest of your life of learning it and learning who Jesus is to you. And I want to read to you today from Romans chapter 8. And we're going to do something kind of old school we used to do here pre-COVID. But I thought we would do it today because this passage is so rich and so deep. And God's word deserves honor. I would love it wherever you're at, online even too, as long as you're not driving, if you would stand in honor of God's word this morning. Yeah, please don't stand if you're driving. The Apostle Paul has just explained about religion. I'll get into it. I'll give you background when we're done reading it. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one that condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and he's also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we're more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that's in Jesus Christ. This is God's word. You may be seated. See, Paul, when he penned this to the church in Rome, he had just, in the previous verses in chapter 8, he was talking about the nature of of, uh, how religion works compared to to Jesus. See, Jesus is almost the the antithetical to religion. Religion is about you do these things, you do them right, you do them well, you'll get God's approval, and then you'll go to heaven right? And this is the view many people have. And he was talking about the law that, listen, and what he was saying is you could follow the law, you could do all the right things, you could do it to a T, you could do it perfectly. That will not get you into heaven. That will not get you in the presence of of God. As a matter of fact, what religion is, it's about do, do, do. And what Jesus is about is what he has done for you already. See, this is the nature Christianity. This is the nature of our faith if you're a believer in Christ Jesus. It's not what you do, it's what he has done. So, 
I want to talk to you about the last verse in that passage I read. See, because Paul said something. He said, for I am convinced. That's an interesting phrase. When you are convinced of something, it's amazing what you will go through and what you will, I'll give you a great example. So I am a rabid fan of the San Diego Chargers of Los Angeles. I call them that because one day they're coming home. And I believe, I am convinced that one day they will win the Super Bowl. Come on, haters. Type it in, haters. I know. Listen. But here's the thing. When you are convinced of something, it's amazing the garbage, the heartache, the all of it that I will put up with year in and year out as a fan of the San Diego Chargers of Los Angeles. That, that I, every year, and then they, they break my heart every year, but what happens is I go next year, next season. Because there's something in it when you're convinced of something. And the reason I'm convinced of it is it's called mathematics. There's only 32 teams in the NFL. Eventually we'll have ours. So maybe in my lifetime. But when you're convinced of something, you live differently. There are people that are convinced the earth is flat. The whole group of people, they live differently. They believe that Australia is a, is a trick. That's fine. If you're a flat earther, God bless you. That maybe it is. But listen, here's what I know. When you're convinced of something, it changes how you live. And part of the here and not yet is just how convinced you are that God loves you because it changes everything in your life. So if you have your outline, there's five things we're going to talk about today. And it's literally just that last verse. Paul says, for I am convinced, and number one, that for I am convinced that neither death nor life, that neither death nor life, that, not, that death cannot separate you from the love of God when you're in Christ Jesus. The life you live, no matter, no matter what it is, cannot separate you from the love of God when you're in Christ Jesus. You know, um, two and a half years ago, my wife got uh, brain cancer. It's, it, it's diagnosed terminal. And uh, one of the things that, that happened to her is um, it, it's, it's a fascinating thing. See, all of us, are going to die. But when you get a, a disease or something like that, you get a diagnosis like that, all of a sudden it becomes very prevalent to you that how precious your life is. As a matter of fact, she has a tattoo right here that says uh, life, joy, gift. And, and really what, what it is is to remind her when she wakes up every day that every day she wakes up is a gift from God. And that in this life and in death that nothing will separate her from the love of God. Some of us, we worry about death a lot. Others of us maybe worry a little less about death. But it is a human thing. Freud uh, talked about it. It's called thanatos. It's a motivator in human life is that we all don't want to die for some reason. And you can say it's biological or whatever it is. But the truth of the matter is, is that whether in this life or in death, not, it will not separate you from God's love if you're in Christ Jesus. I have friends... Um, that aren't in Christ Jesus. I love them. They're great people. And um, I remember one time we were having a conversation because I was going to um, the Middle East. I was going to Israel and then Jordan. And it was kind of caustic during that time. There were, Syria was, they, they're fighting with Jordan and Jordan was you know, bombs, all that stuff. And um, I, you know, I was like, well, I already paid for it. I'm going. And uh, they were like, are you crazy? Like, don't you know you could die? And I was like, well, yeah. 
Um, we're all gonna die. And the truth of the matter is the Bible talks about that my days are numbered by God and my life is in his hands. Now that doesn't mean I'm reckless, but it also means I know who holds my life. And in life and death, nothing can separate you from the love of God. The next thing it says though, number two, it says, for I'm convinced that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor demons. Now let's talk about that for a minute. Because I know there's some people that are like, oh, you know, that's stuff ancient people believe. Like we don't really believe in that anymore. Like that's, you know, that's kind of crazy stuff. And um, I, I, I want to remind you, the, the, the book of Ephesians, the book of Galatians, the, the, the New Testament, even the Old Testament, it talks about there's this thing called the heavenly realms. And there right now, what the Bible says is in the heavenly realms, there are angels, there are demons, they are working right now everywhere we are. And you're like, oh, that's silly. That's superstitious. I want you to think, oh, nay, nay. Oh, nay, nay. <laughs> so um, I want you to just think about it from a scientific perspective even, okay? Um, physicists will talk about different uh, dimensions of reality, right? If you lived in a book, you're two-dimensional. As a matter of fact, Einstein, when he, um, the first book he would give his students is a book called Flatlanders. And it's a, it, it's a story about a two-dimensional person, like people, a world, like they lived on a page. And someone like us, we have access to three dimensions. We are three-dimensional people, was able to visit that two-dimensional world. And because we were three-dimensional, we, it looked like we had superpowers, like you could step forward and disappear. You could fly, like there was all kinds of things because we had access to a third dimension that they did not have access to. And they could not see it. They could not understand it. Well, Physicists now theorize that there's somewhere between nine and 11 dimensions of reality. And we have access to three. We maybe can see four. In space, they know that there is a thing called dark matter, but they've never seen it before and they probably never will see it because they think it's invisible. See, there's all kinds of things in the universe we don't understand. And one of the things that the Bible talks about is this thing, the heavenly realms. And here's what I know. In this room, in whatever room you're watching right now, there are angels, there are demons. There is a fight. There is a war for your heart and who you will give it to. That God is fighting for your heart and for your attention and for your affection But there's also an enemy that wants to distract you, get you thinking about who you're angry at in this room or who you don't like or who looks good or who doesn't or, or what, what you're going to eat at Chipotle, on and on and on. And what it says, Paul says, is I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons. And then it says, neither the present nor the future. So number three, the past, the present, and the future. I want to start with the past, though, really quick, because I want you to understand something. Some of you, you can't even live for Christ in the present because you feel so weighted down by guilt of what you've been or what you did or what it was in the past. And I want, I want to remind you of a reality of the gospel, a reality of the scripture, a reality of what God is saying to you. Is that in Romans 8, 1, the very first verse of this chapter, he says, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That if you are in Christ Jesus, your past does not weigh you down from your future with God. Your past will not stop you from being God's child. None of it, none of it 
So, let's talk about the present. See, what happens is sometimes we get so caught up in the moment of life that we're in, whether it's what's going on on the news and in the world, or whether it's um, what's going on in your life. Uh, uh, maybe there's a diagnosis or a financial problem or a relationship or a new one or what, whatever it is. We get so caught up in the present of what's happening to us. We forget that maybe even in that moment, God's using that thing to shape Christ in you. And it, it says the past, the present, it talks about the future too. That when you know your future, it changes how you, you accept the moment you're in. If you know how the story ends, it changes how you take the moment you're in on, even if, it, if it's, it's, a, it's a bad one. And it also says um, the present, the future, nor any other power. I want to talk to you about that for a minute. It says, for I, I'm convinced that neither life nor death nor angels nor demons, uh, the past, the present, nor any, or sorry, the present, the future, nor any other power. This is, this is the thing. I know in the world we live in right now, and I've, I've gotten after the church so much on this one that people left and went to a church that told them what they want to hear. But I, I want you to understand something. When, it, when Paul is talking about power, he was talking about the powers that be in the world at his time. And that was Rome, and that was Caesar. And there was all kinds of evils and all kinds of things they could have stood up for and all of that. But here's what Paul understood. Because in the world we live in right now, there's all kinds of things to distract us from the main thing. There's all kinds of good causes you could jump on. Um, there's all kinds of, of theories about, um, you know, evil forces that are at work that are controlling the world right now. And, and um, you know, whether it's the Democrats or the Republicans, or maybe they're in cahoots together or some new world order, or on and on and on. And here's what I want, I want you to understand. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor, um, nor, nor um, the present, the future, nor any other power, no other power, not Bill Gates, not Richard Branson, not Joe Biden, not Donald Trump, not even your mama, no power over Jesus. Why are we worried about those things? Why do we freak out about them? You know why? Because there's principalities that want to distract you from the main thing. Yeah, what, what if there's some conspiracy out there and it's going to kill millions of people and you're worried about that and they're all going to hell because they're not in Christ Jesus? You've missed the point. You've missed the point. The bigger picture is the good news. That in life or death, nothing can separate someone in Christ from, from his love. But they've got to be in Christ. And we're so busy fighting about the other things, we're not bringing anyone into Christ. So, I know I just pissed some more people off and they're leaving, but I... I sorry, it's the Bible. <laughs> no, listen, listen. We're, you're clapping because you like what I said, but... Um, <laughs> I could have said what other people like, and they would have clapped. But here's what I want you to know. Um, it, it's sometimes the Bible comes right up against the very things that are at our core, and it shakes us. The gospel does that to us. And it wouldn't be God's word if it didn't. If we just always agreed and we're like, yeah, it'd probably be a religion we created. 
because we always take the least path of resistance. So, nor the past, the present, the future, nor any other power, number four, nor height, nor depth, nothing. Nor height, nor depth. So in the ancient world, when Paul was writing height or depth, everyone that read it in the church in Rome, they would have thought right away is things that happen on earth here and things that happen in the cosmos. And back then they didn't have the same knowledge of the cosmos that we had. By the way, though, a common misnomer is that the whole earth, everyone believed the earth was flat back then. Not everyone believed the earth was flat back then. As a matter of fact, most of the Middle East, they knew the earth was round at the time. That's a European thing that happened later in history. Um, I can't get on that. But, but the whole point I make is all they knew is that there were stars. They didn't know if they were, they were planets or suns. They just were, you know, it was the, the heavens. That's all they knew. What we know now is um, scientists have theorized that there was a beginning of the universe. And they actually, the term they use for the beginning of the universe is the singularity. And what they've done is they've mapped out the universe as far as they can see it, and they see it slowly expanding. So what they believe is that at some point, all of the mass in the universe, all the dust, all the stardust, all of it, and all the gases, all of that were compressed into one tiny little, little capsule. All of it compressed into that. And there was something they call it the singularity. And from um, in, in a nanosecond, it went from being this big and it shot out 13.5 billion light years. And they call that the singularity. And they thought they were clever. They discovered it. Except someone really ancient said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He said, let there be light. Right? He said in a way that an ancient people would understand it and that a modern people would call it the singularity. See, this is the crazy thing about the universe we live in. It's huge. It means the speed of light, and I'm rounding the number, but if you, the speed of light is um, 186,000 miles per second. Some of you are like, that's how fast my children type when they're texting, but, or snapping, or whatever they're doing. 186,000 miles per second. And what that means is when you travel at 186,000 miles per second, you're traveling at the speed of light. They don't believe you can really go any faster than that. And what um, Einstein in his theory of relativity uh, theorized is that what happens when you travel at that speed is that all time slows down to an eternal now is what he called it. That all time stops, that you stand outside of time and space. So for 13.5 billion years. That's how far light traveled across the universe. That's how big the universe is. That's how, and then we, believe it or not, um, we live on the edge of the universe in a little galaxy called the Milky Way galaxy. We live on a little rock, the third rock from the sun, like the TV show, in a galaxy that's 13.5 billion years old, and you and I might, if we're lucky, live 100 years as a speck of dust on this little rock. Does anyone feel small yet? But somehow, the God of the universe, who stands above 13.5 billion light years, knows you by name. That, that it says here that, that he, he knew you before you were born, that he had chose you. And he waits for you to choose him. nor height, nor depth. You know, the other thing that happens to you at 186,000 miles per second is they say that all mass begins to expand. It just keeps expanding. So I'm not putting on weight. I'm just moving faster. <laughs> the, 
You know, they say that when, when it exploded like that, right, that it was all, all the matter that was in the universe was like in, the, in something the, the size of a, um, a teaspoon, condensed that tight and exploded. And um, they'll always tell you like, oh, you're, you know, you're made of the dust of stars. You're made of the matter in the universe. You're, you're, we're all just stardust that somehow animated and got life. And, you know, we kind of go, oh, well, I believe in God. Yeah, and God said you were made from dust as well. So look at your neighbor right now. Look at him. Tell him, you're a dirtbag. <laughs> Some better than others, right? Nor height nor depth, nothing, nothing, number five, can separate us from the love of God. This is the caveat. That is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, here's the thing about God. God is a lot of things. He's not like, sometimes when we look at ourselves, we're like a pie and there's a slice of us that is love and a slice of us that is uh, justice and a slice of us that is naughty and a slice of us that is nice. And a, you know, we're, we're kind of bifurcated, right? But, but here's what I want you to understand about God. God is 100% love. He's 100% justice. He's 100% of all of those good attributes that humans have because we're made in his image. And here's the thing, God is love. And that is what he does. The book of John, 1 John talks about how God, his substance is love. And it's kind of like the sun. The sun only does one thing. It shines. It emanates energy. It radiates. It shines. Now, every one of us, we, if, you, if you're here in this room, you live in Clovis, Fresno, we're closer to the sun than most people, right? Even though we're in a valley, I know we're closer to the sun because it was 115 degrees last week. Those of you that live in Marin County where it's 75 degrees, we're all jealous. Um, anyways, but the, the point I make is this is that the sun can only shine. You can hide from it. You can lock yourself in your house, put blackout blinds on, never go outside, and you can hide from the sun, and it may never shine on you, but the sun is still shining. You didn't eliminate the sun. You didn't scratch it out by hiding in your house. You can dig a hole in the ground and live underground and never come up and never see the sun, and it doesn't mean the sun doesn't exist. The sun is still shining. You've just chosen to run from it. And it's the same way with God's love, that God's love will always emanate. He will always emanate his love. And whether you want to or not, it is you are ridiculously in charge of whether you will stand in the sun or you will run from it. See, it was C.S. Lewis that said, I believe in Christ like I believe in the sun, not because I can see it, but by it, but by it, I can see everything else. See, what would it be like if you were so convinced? I mean, what if, what if I, Doc Brown drove his DeLorean right up here? And I know that's an old reference. Some of you younger kids haven't seen Back to the Future. But that's a universal um, time machine, okay? The DeLorean car from the 80s goes back in time. We all know it. it's a fact, right? So he drives his time machine up here and he puts you in it and he takes you to your future, to the end of your life. And at the end of your life, you became whatever it is that you had dreamed of being, right? If you're 12 years old and you're a 12-year-old little boy, maybe you dreamed of being an NFL player and then a Hall of Famer and then a Hall of Fame coach. And then from under you, there was a, tr a coaching tree of other Hall of Fame coaches and you were just revered as this great football player coach, yada, yada, yada. And you got to the end of your life and you saw that that had happened. How would you live your life differently? 
When you got fired the first time, when you got cut the first time, how would you handle the disappointment of it? See, you know how your story ends, right? You'd handle it differently. When you got injured and everyone thought you couldn't play again, how would you handle it? When you knew the end of the story, when you were convinced of how it ended. See, what happens is, the more I believe the gospel, remember the here and not yet? The farther I travel with Christ, the longer I follow him, the more I believe this and the more I am convinced that neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor any other power in all of the universe can separate me from the love of God for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? Well, the good news is this. I made it without my iPad going out on me. So anyways, no, I I kid, but here's the thing. The way you're in Christ Jesus is not by doing. I just got to come to church more. I just got to be better. I've just got to, you know, quit this vice I have or or quit cussing or quit this or quit that. I got to do more. I got to do more. And then, no, it's been done. How much does God love you this much? Unending. But the Bible does say this. It says in John 1.12, it says, but as many to those that received him, Jesus, if you receive him, to those that believe in his name, he's given them the right to become children of God. See, the Bible says that my sin separated me from God. That, that, that I, you know, I, I, and I still sin. But the, the good news is one day, it's at a point in my life, I realized, Jesus, you're real. This is real. I want you. And I received him. And I wasn't perfect after that. I'm still not perfect after that. But here's what I know. It's not about what I do. It's about what Jesus has done. And it's what's propelling me into my future because I am certain. I am convinced. So some of you, if you were to die today, if this was the end of your life, where would you go and why? And would you be convinced of it? See, the Bible says you can't be certain. You receive him. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And you can live your life hiding from the Son, rejecting the Son, but it does not mean the Son does not love you. And really what I know is this. Before you were in your mother's womb, he knew you. He's been chasing after you. His goodness has been chasing after you your whole life. He's waiting for you to surrender. And say, Lord, I've I've gone my way. I want Jesus. Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone listens, I will come in. The choice is yours. I'm going to give you that opportunity in a moment. And if you want to receive Christ for the first time, or maybe you're coming home to him, or maybe today, like the love of God just got a little brighter. You're like, oh. I want to allow you a moment to talk to him. And then if you've never received Christ before, I want to give you that opportunity. And I want to pray with you to, to do that. So let's just bow our heads, take a moment to be with God.